Thank you for being with us. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's a letter of Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. And we are going to look at what Paul has to say for us. Now, last week, you probably remember, I began a sermon called The Carpenter. And last week we did part one of that sermon. And tonight we're going to continue through uh, part two. Now, uh, to give you a very quick recap, that is my title. I hope that you're taking notes tonight. And share with us your notes. We'd love for you to tag us on your story. The Carpenter Part Two. To recap last week, I gave you four things last week. And you probably have them in your notes. But what we saw last week about Jesus' leadership connected to carpentry. We saw that, number one, Jesus was hated on. He was looked down upon. Many of us know that feeling. Number two, Jesus had vision. Number three, he worked well with raw material, such as you and I. And then number four, he counted the cost. We, we fleshed those four things out last week, and I'm excited to continue uh, fleshing that idea of carpentry out in tonight's sermon. Now, let me tell you from the very beginning. We've been on a lot of Zoom calls over the last 48 hours with a lot of college students in our ministry. And I want to challenge you uh, from the Holy Spirit right now. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you have going on. But I feel the Spirit telling me to say this to whoever you are. This is not in my notes. I don't even have an intro. Wherever you are, Satan would love for you to miss the word God has for you tonight. He would, not the word from me, he would love for you to miss the word from God tonight. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to discourage you. God has something for you tonight, wherever you are. Don't miss it. I don't know who that's for, but I already know many of you are experiencing spiritual warfare from the devil. And he hates when you hear the word of God, and he certainly hates when you do the word of God, when you put it into action. And he's going to try to keep you from that tonight. I don't know who that's for, but, man, fight the devil tonight because I believe he has something for you. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to unpack four more things about carpentry. Look with me in starting in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Paul says to the Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. What we talked about last week, Jesus is the cornerstone. Not only that, but Jesus is the builder. We literally have an image of a house here. In Jesus, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Would you mind bowing your head wherever you are and joining me in prayer? Heavenly Father, right now we may be distant physically, but I believe we are close spiritually. Father, right now there are college students watching this alone who feel alone. Right now, Father, there are people watching this who are afraid. Father, right now, there's people watching this stream who have been comparing themselves to everybody else's social media over the last week. Father, there's people watching the stream right now who have had dark, dark thoughts 
in the last week. Father, there are Christians watching our live stream right now who long for the fire they once had for you because they know it's not there. Father, there's Christians watching the stream right now who are on fire for you. Father, I lift up all these people to you and many others that you would guard and protect them from the enemy. I pray for those who feel alone, those who are in fear right now, that you would come alongside them and you would be their comfort tonight. I pray that they would not fear because they have you, God. You uphold them with your righteous right hand. I pray for the people who feel like they are in darkness tonight. God, I pray that you would bring them into the light. God, I pray that you would remind anyone who is in the dark tonight that you are not on the outside calling them out of it, but you, your son Jesus, is right in the middle with them as the light that they can cling to in darkness. Father, I pray for the Christian who longs to be on fire for you again, who longs to really live out their faith again. Would you start that tonight? And Father, I pray for those Christians, some of them we talked to over the last 24 hours, leaders, I thank you how they have encouraged me and inspired me to be more on fire for you. It's in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's jump into it, man. Number one, I hope that you're taking notes. Let me give you the very first thing. Number one, the carpenter builds the kingdom of heaven. That's a great point. We all look forward to one day being able to go to heaven and be in the presence of God Almighty truly. Number one, the carpenter builds the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this Ephesians text, there are six distinct Greek words that are all built upon the same root. And they're all built on the same root that's pointing this idea. This is so important. You need to get this. They're all pointing to this idea of a house. It's all about a house. You need to imagine a house for a minute. Now, imagine that you are a child. You are a kid. And you come across this beautiful house. It's big, it's beautiful on the outside, it's beautiful on the inside, Corey. I mean, it looks amazing. It's, it's incredible. And on the outside, you're cold, you're hurt, you're freezing, you're alone. Paul paints this picture for us that God has built this house. Now, look with me right here in verse 19. Think about that house. Now, look at what Paul says. He says that the Gentiles are no longer foreigners and strangers. He uses two words here, foreigners and strangers. Now, this refers to you and me before we got saved. Watch this. The picture he's painting is that you and I were once foreigners to the house of God, meaning that God's house was built, but we were on the outside. We were not on the inside. And it paints this picture of like you wandering on the outside of the house trying to find a way in. Can you imagine? You think about kids who grew up in foster homes, who don't have a home, who don't belong anywhere, man, and, and would love to get inside a house where they could belong somewhere. That was you and I. Before you got saved, you were a foreigner to God. You, didn't, you were not in his household. But what's amazing is Paul paints this picture. He says, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because Jesus humbled himself and came down to this earth, took on our flesh, took our punishment, died for all of our sins, now he invites you into that house. <laughs> Jeremy, isn't that amazing, man? Jeremy and Corey are doing some photos. I, I shouted out Lauren and Jess last week. Corey and Jeremy working for us tonight. Man, Jesus has invited you to no longer be a lost child, but to be adopted into God's family. Number one, are you grateful? Because, <laughs> man, if I was lost and got adopted into a family where all my needs are taken care of by a loving father, I'd be grateful. Are you grateful that you belong in the family of God? But not just that. Watch. What happens to a lot of Christians, if we're honest, here's where it gets real. I'm just talking to you. Ain't no preaching. 
what happens is we get saved. We're no longer a foreigner to God. We are literally a child of God. That's what it means you're adopted by God. You are a child of God, and you get in God's house as a Christian, and you get comfy. <laughs> you see, I told our leaders, a lot of Christians, they get inside that house, they get saved, and they, I wish I could do it. They put their feet up on the ottoman, <laughs> on the coffee table. <laughs> they put their feet up, they get comfy, they get them a beverage, and they chill. <laughs> what happens is when we get too comfy as Christians, we no longer understand how bad it was being stuck on the outside. And when you no longer understand how hard it is to not be a Christian, how lost and overwhelming it is to not know Jesus Christ, when you forget what that's like, you won't have the same drive to go and invite others into God's house. That's evangelism. See, God has adopted us into his house, but he's not just happy with us being in his house. He wants us to go and tell others how they can be adopted into the family of God. How they can go from a child on the street who has nothing, a lost soul, get saved, come to know Jesus, and then be a part of the greatest house that was ever built. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Now that entire thing I just gave you is all from the Bible. Literally, that is Paul's imagery he is painting to you. So let me ask you this, Christian. If you are saved have you gotten comfortable? <laughs> Have you put your feet up on the coffee table inside God's house? Do you still remember what it's like for those who are on the outside of the house who are lost and don't know Jesus? Can you relate to them? Because if we're honest, <laughs> many of us have forgotten. But Jesus wants you to remember that there's people walking on the outside of the house that want to be a part of the family too. That want hope, faith, mercy, the redemption for their sins? Have you got comfy? We got to take our feet off the coffee table and realize God didn't save us just from something. He saved us for something. <laughs> it's an amazing imagery. A carpenter's job is to build. Jesus built this house so that we can be a part of it. At the core, they are builders. What they do is they take on the responsibility of building what others can't. That's what carpenters do. Now, what other evidence do we see in Scripture for Jesus as a builder? I want to take you to John chapter 2, verse 19. This verse says very clearly, Jesus' words. He says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. <laughs> now, you know as well as I do, Jesus isn't talking about the man-made temple. He's not talking about a building. He's not just talking about a construction project he's going to build in three days. Watch, when he says destroy this temple, he's talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is foreshadowing his crucifixion on the cross. That man will try to ruin Jesus' ministry, but they will not prevail. You see, because Jesus says, you destroy this temple, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. In other words, how to understand that verse? You can crucify me and try to destroy my kingdom, but I will raise again in three days. Jesus rose from the grave. He literally had the strength to build his life back up from the dead. That's amazing. That's absolutely nuts. Can you imagine his strength? Watch this. If he can endure torturing, murder, crucifixion, and then still raise his body up from the grave, imagine the strength he has to raise you up. You say, Daniel, what do you mean? I'll give it to you like this, college students. Anytime I open up the Bible, I open, up it, I open it up knowing, number one, God's going to speak to me. But number two, there are examples in my life every day that bring this to life. Do you realize that? 
You say, Daniel, you tell, you tell these stories, you make these analogies, the Bible's like a cookbook, all that kind of stupid stuff. But have you realized that if you pay attention in your life, God will teach you things? See, some of us miss lessons because we aren't observant. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you like this. My dad, when I was a kid, he's watching the live stream tonight. I would watch him go to the door and he would have a pull-up bar or he would be lifting weights. I'd watch him grab this pull-up bar and do these pull-ups. Now, you know, he could do about 10. I can't do one. <laughs> I try to get on there, pull myself up. It's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> I would watch my dad pull his entire body up and then down and every single time pulling his body all the way up. Now, what's amazing, it was hard for him. It wasn't easy for him. I watched his strength, though. He was able to do it. What was amazing is he would walk over to me as a small child and literally pick me up as if I was as light as a feather. <laughs> like, literally, I'd watch him do 10 push-ups, struggling, agony, like screaming, and then he'd come over, come here, son. And then he'd have the strength to hold me up. In other words, if Jesus Christ has the strength to lift himself up from the grave, when he comes to you, it's like lifting up a feather. <laughs> It's amazing, I'm telling you. It's literally, he can lift you up and then hold you up. That's the strength he has. If he can resurrect from the grave, he can hold your life up, but you got to trust him. See, oftentimes my dad would come to me and wait for me to say, okay, and put my arms out as a signal to show that I was ready to be picked up. Christian, have you shown Jesus you're ready to be picked up? Have you shown him you're ready to take your life and put it completely in his hands? Not just your body, but your career, your calling, your relationship, your future marriage, where you live, everything. Are you a blank check? <laughs> That's the strength. I'm telling you, if you pay attention in your life, God will teach you. I've never seen anything like it. Because I know many of you are worried. Let's be real for a minute. I know you worry. <laughs> You'd never admit it. You'd never say it, but you worry over who you're supposed to marry. Some of you are in relationships, you worry if that's the right one to be with. <laughs> you think sometimes it looks like this is who God has for me, and sometimes it's not. See, I know many of you worry about your career. School, this whole quarantine has thrown a damper in your plans. You don't know what to do. Some of you wonder if you're on the right career path. You're worried. You're scared. Can I ask you a question? Do you trust Jesus? Are you following him? Are you praying and reading his word? Because if you're doing those two things and you trust him, he will lead you in the right direction. He will be the voice behind you telling you this is the way, walk in it. So if you're so worried, go to God. He will answer your questions. Another example of Jesus being a builder comes in Matthew 16, verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter... On this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. If hell can't stop Jesus' church, do you really think a virus can? <laughs> like if hell can't stop the worship of Jesus, then why in the world should we let the closed doors of 2000 Appling Road ruin our worship? <laughs> we shouldn't let it happen. See, we are the church. God built it on a people group, not a building. You are the church. We are together. And God is calling us during this time to be united, to be one. Jesus literally built his church. So during this quarantine, I want to ask you a question real straightforward. 
What are you building? I ask myself that when I wake up. I ask myself that at lunchtime. I say, man, what am I building? Because if Jesus has told you to go and build, if he has told you to make disciples, if he has told you to grow your Bible knowledge, if he has told you to seek his word, memorize scripture, encourage people, uh, call out people in your life when you need to, allow yourself being called out, like if he's called you to build, are you building? Because for me, sometimes I say no. I'll give it to you like this. When I was in high school, I worked a job fixing cars, and it was a side job to make some money. And I worked for my dad. It was the guy I worked for, so, you know, really, I got the job off of special treatment. But uh, I worked for my dad fixing cars, and I wasn't a good worker. I didn't know anything about cars. And when my dad wasn't looking, I'd, I'd stop working. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, I would stop working. I'd either, if I was holding a fan on him while he was working in the heat, or I wasn't doing nothing. And every time he would look at me, though, I'd make it look like I was working. <laughs> I'd do something. I'd grab a wrench. Yeah, I'm taking out spark plugs. I don't even know what spark plugs are. <laughs> and I'd make it look like I was working, but when he looked away, I'd stop working. See, many of us during quarantine, we're acting like God has stopped looking at us. <laughs> Let me be real. We're living like God has looked away from us and like we don't have to build. So we just slouching off. We just do whatever. We take it easy. We chill. But he's watching. And in the midst of all this, he's still calling you to build. So what are you building? What does it look like for you? Because there's two Christians. There's the one who sees this as a vacation, and there's the one who sees this as a mission trip. I got to decide every day which one I'm going to do. Is this a vacation or a mission trip? You say, Daniel, how am I on a mission trip? I'm stuck in the house. Maybe God sent you to your house. Maybe the mission field is your house. The mission field is your family. Heaven forbid it might be your neighbor. That might be your mission field. Love thy neighbor. Can you imagine? Mm. He's calling you. Number two, we got to keep moving. Number two, the carpenter doesn't do the bare minimum. Number two, the carpenter does not do the bare minimum. Now think about this from a carpentry standpoint first, and then think about it from a spiritual aspect. A carpenter cannot afford to cut corners. They can't do it. They just can't afford to cut corners. They always have to go the extra mile. If they cut corners, that project is going to fall. See, they don't cut corners most times because they realize that they're working with valuable and, and special material. They realize that what they're building has significant value to it. So for you and me as Christians, if we cut corners in our lives, I believe scripturally what we are saying is that we do not value what we are building. It's a true concept. That if we're really kingdom builders but we cut corners in building, then we really don't value the kingdom of God. And this is a point I don't want to get too off on, but as a leader, Jesus Christ didn't do the bare minimum. Spiritually, when you look at his life, he went the extra mile every single opportunity he had. But for us as Christians today in America, I think we've lost the art of going the extra mile. We do just enough. Literally, just imagine, think hypothetically for a moment. If Jesus had done the bare minimum and just went to the cross, think about all the ministry he would have missed out on. 
I wrote it up like this. If Jesus had done the bare minimum, the temple would not have been cleansed in John 2. The Samaritan woman wouldn't have gotten saved in John 4. The man at the pool would have stayed paralyzed in John 5. The 5,000 would still be hungry in John 6. The disciples would not have been disciplined in all the Gospels. The blind man would have stayed blind in John 9. Lazarus would have stayed dead in John 11. The disciples' feet would still be dirty in John 13. They'd still be walking around with dirty feet. And how many other extra mile acts of Jesus could we list out? That's just some from the book of John. All these are off the beaten path. He could have looked at the temple and said, ah, oh well. He could have looked at the Samaritan woman and said, ah, oh well. No, I don't have to do that. I came for the cross, man. I didn't come for this man who's paralyzed at the pool. I didn't come for just these 5,000 to eat something. I don't have to clean the disciples' feet. Like, literally, don't you think our God that he sent his son down and his son is not just a bare minimum Messiah. <laughs> I am. I, I'm thankful that Jesus is not a bare minimum Savior. Literally, he did the extra mile every single opportunity he had. For you and me, man, I look at my own life. Do I really go the extra mile with the people in my life? Do you, do you really go the extra mile? I don't want to get on you too much, but seriously, like, do we go extra steps or are we just sliding by? Do we just do enough to get by? You know, sometimes the most dangerous thing that you can do is to do just enough. Sometimes it'd be better to do nothing at all. Sometimes the most dangerous thing you and I can do is just do enough. What's going to happen is if you live that way where you're reliant on your own power and not the Spirit's power, where you read just enough to hold a conversation with people but you don't dwell in this and meditate on it, if you only pray before meals and not in a prayer closet somewhere, what's going to happen is you're going to get stagnant in that your whole life. And then one day you have kids and you'll be stuck in the same, same bare minimum, just sliding by attitude that you've had because you never ramped it up and got serious about this thing we call faith. Man, I could go on, but listen, Dakota said it a couple while, a little few hours ago to me. He said, Daniel, man, you remember when we were coaching? I said, yeah. He said, man, listen, think about the athletes in high school. The high school athletes you coach in basketball, those who just do enough to get by, those who do the bare minimum, they never go on to play at the next level. I'm like, dang, you're right. They don't. We'll put it in Christian terms. <laughs> those Christians who do just enough to get by never advance in their next level of Christianity and faith. And I've been there. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm guilty. I'm on the same stage with you, same floor. But many times in my life, I stayed exactly where I was because I did the bare minimum to get by. Now, I want to give you some action steps about this. How to build for Christ now. A, write this down, build your Bible knowledge. Build your Bible knowledge, Old Testament and New Testament. And I'll put a goal on here for you to think about this week, man. Develop a full view of Scripture. You know, develop an understanding of Genesis to Revelation. Not of just one book. That's where you start. But you get really, really strong when you understand how Genesis connects to John, how John connects to Revelation, how Revelation connects to Malachi. That's when you get good. Are you building your Bible knowledge now? 
are you really growing? Because if you are, I bet life is a joy right now. <laughs> like, man, when I'm in God's word, it's a joy right now. And I want to tell you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, i got to show you this. I cannot not show you this tonight. I cannot not show you this tonight. I've showed you this. This is the F260 study Bible. This has a plan in it that I love, my team loves, our leader loves, our leaders love. If you Google F260 Bible reading plan, you'll find a PDF document where you can get this for free. It gives you five readings per seven days, and you do a journal every day on that reading. Man, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, Google this right now. No, actually, you know what? Hold on to the end. <laughs> you don't need to be opening new tabs. You're going to get distracted. I'm just kidding. You can Google it now. Google F260. Look up this plan. Start reading it with us. We'll talk about it with you. It's a great plan. Develop a Bible reading plan. Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is all through the Bible. B, build your prayer cards. Man, now is a better time than ever to build prayer cards. Uh, I've done it in my life with our college students, with some of my family. And what I do is I write their name on there, and then I write verses to pray over them. I had a college student this week text me. He said, Daniel, uh, I wrote down like eight things to pray for you for in January, or were they answered? I'm like, man, that's some intentionality. To remember someone's prayer request for four months and then follow up with them? That's a different level of Christianity. <laughs> That's a on fire for Jesus. Like, man, I'm following your life. How are those prayers going? Like, them prayers answered? Yo, I've got to, you know, so prayer cards. See, you say, Daniel, I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm sorry. Build disciples. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I, I love it. Matthew, 18, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Build disciples. I put a goal on here. I'd love for you to do it. I did it, Zoom weekly with three people and teach them what God's teaching you. What could that look like for you? You say, Daniel, I don't know a lot. Well, neither did some of the people in the Bible that God used. <laughs> they were wanting to grow and continually learning more. God still learned them when they didn't know a lot. Some goals for you, man. Set some goals and reach for them. I'm telling you, God will bless it. He really will, I promise you. It's a, it's a struggle for me every day too, man. Number three. The carpenter accurately measures success. I love this idea. I love this idea. The carpenter accurately measures out success. Now, a carpenter, they don't just measure the success of a project by how it looks on the outside. Did you hear what I said? They can't just measure the success of a project by how it looks on the outside and the appearance. That's not how they roll. And that's not how Jesus' spiritual leadership did either. I think about all the time that Jesus told the Pharisees, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside of your cup is dirty. See, success to Jesus was not just a clean cup on the outside, it was a clean cup on the inside. Because even a clean cup on the outside that's dirty on the inside is going to hurt someone. You realize that? Success. What is success to you? For me, uh, last week, I had one of the oldest dad moments I've ever had in my life. I'm not even a father. I don't have kids. I'm 26. I'm not even that old. But I had a dad moment. I decided to build a patio. I walked out on my apartment balcony, and I just got mad. You ever get mad? You ever walk out and just look at something in your, like your room get dirty, and you just look at your pile of clothes on your sofa, and you just get mad? You're not mad at anybody else, but you're mad at yourself. Like, man, I'm a failure. Like, why have I not hung these clothes up? Like, it's not that hard. Like, I just got mad. Me and my wife have been living in this apartment complex for a year and a half. 
I walked out on the balcony and realized, man, I ain't done a single thing to the balcony in the year and a half I lived there. There's leaves everywhere. There's old clothes I threw out there to dry that I've left out there for eight months. Like, I left black Nike socks out there, and the sun, like, roasted them. <laughs> They're, like, grilled out on the balcony. They're, like, in ashes. I'm like, ugh, you know, like, I was just, I had a moment of being a failure. You know how it is. You felt that. Maybe some of you haven't. Maybe some of you have your life together. But uh, I determined to do something. So my first step, I got a broom. I sweeped off the patio, got all the leaves out of there. I was like, man, we got to clean this up. We got some string lights. Really trendy. <laughs> Hipster. Look cool. Look like I'm in the know. I hung them up above myself. Look pretty nice, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and uh, then I opened up the closet that's outside on the patio. Now, this is where things get crazy. I have no idea what I'm opening because I haven't opened this closet in all the time I've lived there. It's a small closet on the patio. And I opened up the closet. And I'm telling you, I can't make this up. Paul Jones was with me. He'll testify. When I open the closet door, 30 spiders just scatter. I mean, them jokers take off. It's like they were in a huddle. And when I opened the door, they went, break. And they they just break off in every direction. I've never seen anything like it. Have you ever seen spiders, like, strategically scatter in all directions so you can't get them? It's a, it's a nerve-wracking feeling. And these spiders go everywhere. And, of course, Paul jumps back like a girl. Ah! And I'm like, dude, chill. You know? I'm like, relax. I wasn't scared at all. Paul was scared. I wasn't even close to being scared. I was a little scared. <laughs> and I freaked out, too. I looked at these spiders. I'm like, man, we got to do something. So I closed the door. Obviously. And this was my first instinct. This is when you know it's bad. My first instinct, I, went, I looked at my wife. I said, listen, if we keep this door shut, we can duct tape the corners and they'll never get out. And Paul's like, man, what kind of white trash stuff is that? Man, we're not about to duct tape this closet shut. Like, literally, my first instinct was not to get in the closet and clean them out. It was to duct tape it shut so that they could never get out. It was a moment for me where I was like, man, do I really think that way? Like, that's my thought process in this moment. And of course, I turned it into an application, as I always do with these kind of things. I instantly learned something about myself. This is what I wrote down. I wrote down uh, the moment Paul looked at me. He said something. I don't remember if he remembers saying it. But he looked at me. He said, Daniel, even if you duct tape the corners of that door, the spiders are still going to try to find a way out. And just about that moment, a few minutes later, I was looking around, and I saw some of the spiders creeping out on the balcony. They had got out of the door themselves. <laughs> I wrote down, this is what I wrote down. You'd be like, Daniel, you got to be kidding me. I wrote this down. If the spiders that I tried to hide in the closet would always find a way out to the patio, you know what that teaches me? It teaches me this simple truth. Whatever sin I try to hide in your private life will always creep out just like those spiders into your public life. Can you imagine? When we have junk, when we got sin, a lot of us react like I do. Let's close it shut where nobody can see it. Let's duct tape it so we can try to keep it in there, and then nobody will ever know. But what you hide in your private life creeps out slowly into your public life. You see, for me, my mindset was as long as I clean the patio, it doesn't matter what the closet's like. For us, we're like, as long as I clean up my outside, my exterior, it doesn't really matter what the interior is like. <laughs> What's crazy is if I let people come and sit on my patio and I didn't kill those spiders, eventually they're going to get bit. If you keep hanging around people 
and you're not dealing with the junk that you've got in your heart, you're just okay with it being there, eventually it's going to lash out and bite somebody. That jealousy, that insecurity, that lust, all of it will turn into an action. What's amazing, though, is when we got this spray, we got in there, we opened up the closet, we killed these spiders. I was fearless and brave. We killed these spiders, murdered them. I don't even know if that's okay to say on a sermon. We murdered these spiders. I guess that's okay. We'll see. Uh, We killed all these spiders. All of a sudden, the closet's usable again. It's clean. (laughs) That's some of the best work we had done. Can I tell you, when you allow Jesus Christ into your heart, he comes in there and he starts killing sin. He takes no prisoners. He kills the sin that's in your heart. And once again, you'll look at your heart and say, man, this thing's usable again. (laughs) Man, this thing, nobody can see it, but I can feel it. I can see it. See, I'll always know what's in that closet that I didn't deal with. You'll always know what's in that heart that you didn't let Jesus deal with. Won't you let him deal with it? I feel so good every time I sit on my patio knowing I handled what I was supposed to handle. Let Jesus get into your heart and start cleansing you the way he cleansed the temple. Let him cleanse you of those sins and get that junk out of your life, man. It doesn't have to be there. There is a better way. That's when success comes. That's sanctification. That's becoming more like Jesus. That's what Jesus says is success, is when you become more like him, when he starts getting rid of the spiders you're scared to deal with. That's when success comes. Godly leaders have a different measure of success than worldly leaders do. Worldly leaders really oftentimes don't care what's going on in there. It's all about this. It's all about your persona. It's all about how you look. How you talk? Does your life look well put together on Instagram? No. No. See, Jesus wants more. Jesus is looking at your heart. He wants to see you live this out. He wants to see you be on fire. James 1, he tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I love what, what it says in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, And acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Another building analogy. Jesus, carpenter, does another building analogy. Now he's building a house on a rock. The rain fell. Rivers rose. Winds blew and pounded that house. In other words, life got hard. You want to know what a storm is? In other words, people don't like you. People are judging you. Life is getting hard. Yet, in the midst of that, that house didn't collapse Because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, rivers rose, and winds blew. In other words, people started hating on you. Once again, life got hard and pounded that house of yours, and it collapsed. In fact, Jesus said it collapsed with a great crash. How do you measure success? How do you really measure success? What does it look like for you? At the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed and all said and done, when you look back on your life, what will you say was a successful life? Jesus says, becoming more like him, hearing his words and doing them. Building your house on his foundation, not on this world's foundation. I want you to write this down as another challenge. This week, write out what God scripturally says a successful leader is like and then measure where you are thriving and where you're struggling. Are you willing to do that? 
Now that's hard. <laughs> Man, that's, that's tough. Self-evaluation is one of the hardest things, man. Are you willing to write out that measure and then see how you measure up? And then last one, let me give you one more here. Number four, the carpenter teaches others how to build. The last point of our carpenter part one and part two sermons is that they, they go and they teach others how to build. I said this to our leaders. I'm fairly certain I didn't say it on here. Apologize if I re-say it again. I'm pretty sure I haven't said this for you. But Jacob said something to me yesterday morning that stuck with me when we were going over my sermon. I love to talk about my sermons with my team and love to hear their thoughts and their feedback. And they impact the sermon a lot. Jacob and Dakota do and my, my wife does as well. And he said, he said, man, if a carpenter doesn't teach anyone else in his business how to build, when he dies, his business dies with him. It's like, man. So that means if you live the Christian life without teaching any other people how to live the Christian life and be disciples, your ministry essentially dies with you. That's scary. But when you fulfill Matthew 28, when you go and make disciples and you teach others how to build, your ministry can last forever on this earth. Discipleship will keep going and going and going and going. I learned this in one of my seminary classes this semester. I love this truth. Write this down. God always communicates truth with the desire for it to travel. He always communicates truth with the desire for it to travel. Joseph taught his brothers forgiveness. Moses taught Joshua courage. Jesus taught the disciples everything. God's giving you truth right now. Is it coming to a stop? Or is it traveling? Are you taking it to other people? Are you teaching? You say, Daniel, I'm not a teacher. God has given you the ability to share what he has impressed on your heart through the Holy Spirit of God. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to get real here to end this. No more sermon stuff. I'm going to get real with you. I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what's going through your mind when this kind of stuff comes up, when you talk about teaching others. Many of you are thinking, Daniel, I could never. I know, I know many of you think you don't try to teach others because you think they don't care what you have to say. That's what goes through your mind. That's what the devil lies to you. You don't teach others because you think they don't care what you have to say. You choose to stay silent when you know God's telling you to speak because you think people will be annoyed by you. You think you don't know enough of the Bible. You're worried you might say the wrong thing. You're worried you might not say something as creative or deep as what so-and-so said. You've compared yourself to other people and their social media and their way of teaching for so long that you're scared to say something that's not as good as what someone else said. I get it. I know what it's like. I know what you're feeling because I was you. I still am you. And all of those statements I just made are lies from the devil. So, many, so we got 12-year-old kids watching with their family right now. Let me speak to you. Even you can go and teach someone at 12 years old, 10 years old. Man, we got parents watching 45 years old. God could use you to go and teach somebody something this week. College students, God can use you. Those are lies from the devil. He is lying to you to make you think that you can't teach the word of God. But you can teach through the Holy Spirit of God. He can communicate through you, but you got to verbally open your mouth and start sharing what God is teaching you. You're a builder. God's calling you to build. I'll never forget when I was 16 years old. Moment happened in my life that literally scarred me. You're going to hear it and say, Daniel, that was it, but it scarred me. It always stuck with me. I've never forgotten it. It's in my last thing, lock in with me. 
At 16 years old, I was quiet, mute, silent, scared to talk. I literally didn't ever say a word. I was the kid that came into school with his hood up, went through the whole day, and then left school never saying nothing. Because I was scared. I was afraid. I was terrified. I was scared of being judged. I was scared of somebody saying something to me. So I went almost half my life silent. And I'll never forget this moment in class, in English class. My teacher made me do a presentation that I wasn't really ready for. And I took my piece of paper up to the front of the class. And I was standing in front of this class. I was so terrified to talk in front of this class. Many of you know, I got up in front of the class. I was trying to hold my paper, but I couldn't. My hands were shaking so bad. Tenth grade. All I wanted to do was make it through the speech, but I couldn't because I was so scared. My hands were shaking. And I'll never forget the faces of the people in the room, my peers, looking at me, shocked, wondering what's wrong with me, that I can't even hold this piece of paper still to read off of it. <laughs> Can I tell you why my hand shook? My hand shook because my foundation was shaky. <laughs> See, my hands were shaky because my foundation was shaky because I wasn't standing on Jesus Christ. I was standing on the world. I was standing on me, and I was standing on sin. And I didn't have the confidence I needed. Now when I come up here to preach, <laughs> my hands don't shake. My hands don't shake like they did. Nothing's changed about me, though. I'm still that 16-year-old weird, quiet, shy kid that's scared to talk, scared to use his voice. I'm still that kid. The only thing that's changed, the reason why my hands don't shake is because my foundation has changed. <laughs> See, my foundation, when I come up here, I'm standing on Jesus Christ. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm standing on Jesus, the immovable foundation. So if I'm standing on Jesus that's immovable, there's nothing in this world that can make me shake. Nothing. So for you, when it's time to speak up, if you feel shaky like I did, I know many of you can relate to me. You've been there. If you feel shaky, it might be because you need to stand on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ and allow him to give you confidence to speak. Because some of you are going to miss an entire lifetime of ministry because you're scared to use your voice and to teach others what it is you've learned. The last thing I wrote down, you, you and I are not kingdom builders until we've taught someone else how to build the kingdom. Would you be willing to teach and share? Because God's calling you. He can use you. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Wherever you are, I just want you to take a moment you could make sure notifications are off. Everyone in your room silent. Let's just take a moment here. Sometimes silence is what we need. Turn the music down. Close the door. Just take a moment. Wherever you are, whoever you are. I want to tell you, if you're watching and you have not repented of your sins, you have not told the Lord 
that you're done with that lifestyle. If you're watching and you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord and believed in his resurrection, why not do that right now? Why not repent of your sins, believe Jesus died for you and rose again, and then start living for him today? Why not now? When will it start? When will it begin for you? You could get saved right now. If that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. It's no magic words. But if you pray something like this and you mean it in your heart, Jesus will save you. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death because of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Say, dear God, right now I need you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. And thank you that you rose again. I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. You are the Lord of the universe. And I believe in my heart that you raised from the dead. Jesus, save me right now. I put my absolute faith in you. I give my life to you. Save me right now. For all of you that are Christians with your head still bowed, there's so many action steps to take. Which one does God have for you? What did you hear tonight that you're going to respond to and say yes for this week? Will you build the kingdom of God and teach others? Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the Christians who are watching with us that have joined us. And Father, I pray that they would take this word and that they would be doers of it. God, I pray that this word would produce fruit, that you would go forward, that you would change the college students' lives who are watching this now. Father, motivate them, inspire them, convict them, and encourage them. And Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.